Hey everybody, it's Sam Jacobs. Welcome to the Sales Hacker Podcast. Today on the show, Carl Erickson. Carl Eric Michelson Moberg, or Carl Moberg, a Norwegian entrepreneur who's become a friend of mine through CEO Pavilion that runs a company called Ticket Co. Inspiring guy, truly. Uh, a, a salesperson and an entrepreneur since he was 16 years old, selling tickets to parties that he hosted while his parents were out of town. This is a classic. <laughs> this is the classic story, is it not? And uh, and he talks about founding the company. He talks about the journey through COVID. He talks about the principles that led him to build the company on solid footing and what his focus is for 2023. And you got to listen to the segment on Friday, Kind Folks Finish Fridays, because it's uh, it's a great one. It's a great one. Uh, so let's listen to a word from our sponsors, and then we can hear my conversation with Carl Moberg. This episode of the Sales Hacker Podcast is brought to you by Outreach. Outreach is the first and only engagement and intelligence platform built by revenue innovators for revenue innovators. Outreach allows you to commit to accurate sales forecasting, replace manual process with real-time guidance, and unlock actionable customer intelligence that guides you and your team to win more often. Traditional tools don't work in a hybrid sales world. Find out why. Outreach is the right solution at click.outreach.io forward slash 30 MPC. That is click.outreach.io forward slash 30 MPC. This episode of the Sales Hacker Podcast is sponsored by Pavilion. Pavilion is the key to getting more out of your career. Our private membership connects you with a network of thousands of like-minded peers and resources where you can tap into dozens of classes and training through Pavilion University. Make sure you take advantage of the Pavilion for Teams corporate membership and enroll your entire go-to-market team in one of our industry-leading schools and courses, including Marketing School, Sales School, Sales Development School, and Revenue Operations School. Unlock your professional potential and your team's professional potential with a Pavilion membership. Get started today at joinpavilion.com. Once again, that's joinpavilion.com. As a small or medium-sized business owner, you're frustrated about having to personally run operations and grow sales for your company. You're at the stage where you need to make scalable moves. Get to your next level of growth with Overpass, the first-of-its-kind global SDR marketplace. With hiring assistance from real people, you can onboard sales reps from around the world for a fraction of the cost. The solution to your growth is only a few clicks away. Create a free account today at overpass.com. Hey, everybody. It's Sam Jacobs. Welcome to the Sales Hacker Podcast. Today on the show, we've got Carl Eric Michelson Moberg, or Carl Moberg. He's the CEO of Ticket Co. In addition to all of the information we're going to learn about Ticket Co., he's the CEO and co-founder. He's 38, lives by the fjords of Norway with his wife, two daughters, and a dog called Junior. He spends a lot of time outdoors in the country, everything from fishing to skiing. He's also a strong believer in staying healthy. He gets up at 5 a.m. every morning, which is insanity. Carl, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here, Sam. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, we're happy to have you. So you're the CEO and co-founder of TicketCo. Tell us, what is TicketCo? It's, uh, it, is, uh, it is what it is, really. It used to be a ticketing company when we started, uh, but uh, it has now evolved into uh, a more digital assistant for everyone that works with creating events. So all the heroes out there who's trying to, to make the world a better place by throwing great events get a system that suggests what they should do next to help them create the best event ever. So that's what we do. That's great. And so how big is the company? How old is the company? When did you start the company? Give us a little bit about the journey. <clears throat> I would say it's, uh, it's in, in my mind, it's still very young, uh, but it's actually 10 years old. Uh, we've wow. been going since 2012, but we really, uh, after COVID, we really amplified things. So that's where the time starts in, 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 in my head. 
least. And how big are you from like a revenue range? How many employees? That kind of thing. Uh, so now we have about uh, yeah, between six and seven million US dollars ARR. Uh, we're about 30 employees. Uh, we have people in Norway, UK, uh, Sweden, and, and, and um, Ireland. Um, and we also have uh, people in Ukraine. Uh, so, yeah, we're spread a little bit all over the place. Well, that's, that's, that's an amazing story. How, tell us a little bit about you know, your origin story. How did you found Ticket Co? Walk us through the founding story, but also your story in terms of you know, finding your way into the event industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, well, I started when I, I've been in the industry for 22 years, uh, more or less. I started when I was 16. Uh, I sold tickets uh, when my parents was out of town. I had parties in their house and, and sold tickets to get in. Um, so I started with that. And uh, in the weekdays, I did water ski lessons for, uh, for people in the, uh, the local community. So they had to pay me $5.00. If they try to get up on water skis, and if you have water ski before, you know that it takes some time before you get up and actually get a good run. And when you get a good run, you uh, you have to pay ten dollars. So I actually made my own money from when I was sixteen, most of it from the events side. Wow! And and so how did that evolve into uh, into Ticket Coke? Keep keep going in the story. We don't want you to stop talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> what we did is we. We, uh, when I was 19, I started renting cruise ships from Norway because I wanted to go to a business school that cost, ended up costing uh, quite a lot of money. I didn't have that money, so I needed to make it myself. So I rented uh, a big ship with a, where we could fit around 2,000 people, filled it up with students, and sent them to, to, to Newcastle in the UK. So I started doing that for a couple of years, made some money, started school, uh, and then I got to work with one of the owners from some of the, the biggest restaurant chains in Norway. So we were running about 18 venues, uh, multiple festivals across Norway, uh, and I really loved the industry. I mean, meeting people, putting people together was, was, was a great experience. So from that, I was actually doing a, a, a festival uh, in the mountains of Norway. Obviously, there's a lot of mountains in Norway, a lot of snow. So I booked a thousand beds in the mountains and I wanted to fill them up with students. But there was really no good ticketing solution out there. So, uh, and we tried to use a solution that um, let everyone know a big solution and uh, they couldn't cater for our needs. And Why I, is that? Why, what couldn't they cater? Because I needed to go on sale quickly. I needed to, to, uh, to market my events, etc. And that solution was actually what I had to do then. I had to fax in. I used the old fax machine to get the <laughs> event on sale. And a week after I wanted to get the event on sale, I would get like a confirmation. And once I get that com- confirmation, two weeks after I could start selling. So it was impossible for me to get started with the selling. So I decided to, well, I can build this myself, but, and I knew some developers. I'm not a developer myself. And I convinced someone to develop a solution on credit for that festival. Festival ended up in, we, we were selling like two tickets, so it wasn't a success, but I had this solution. So I thought, well, okay. So hold on a sec. So you had all these, you had a thousand beds in the mountains of Norway and only two people sleeping in them? 
Yeah, I actually gone to the <laughs> festival right before. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> it was a, it was a, a pretty interesting solution I built. Actually, you could you could choose the bed the bed you wanted to sleep in, and you could also find out who was sleeping there. So you can choose who you would stay in room with, etc. So I guess that's probably why it wasn't a success. I don't know, but <laughs> but anyway, we had this ticketing system which we had built for this festival, and I thought, well, let's try and sell that to someone else. So I started selling it to uh, student organizations across Norway, and they loved the solution until it completely broke down. And it was a disaster, and I think I spent two weeks in Excel trying to sort things out. But then again, I managed to sell the same solution to the same customer a year after, which actually was the beginning and start of TicketGo. And then we funded the company up a little bit. People saw that there was a need, and we started building the business. Well, that's exciting. And so what have you learned? Tell us about some of your key learnings. You know, as you've been, you've been building this company for quite a while. What do you think some of your biggest lessons are? I think that it's been a lot of, I mean, it's, it is a lot of uh, challenges, right? When you're building a business, um, which you know all about as well, Sam. I mean, there is always some sort of crisis going on. Uh, the question isn't it, if it is a crisis, it's just how big it is at that time. And I think what you need to do is you need to focus on what you're doing, uh, keep your uh, keep your motivation right, and don't think about everything that can go wrong, but think about what can happen if things go the right way and, and work towards solutions. So even though you know that you might go bankrupt in one month, you should still be out there signing contracts with customers. You should still be hiring people. You should really be building a business because things sort themselves out if you're just doing a good job. I think that's my key takeaway. And if you lose focus on all the things that can go wrong, then I'm sure you will fail. How do you, uh, so how did, you know, you're at 6 million ARR, which is really, who are your customers these days? Are they ticketing venues? Are they event management companies? Who, who do you sell to? Uh, we sell to sports clubs um, and uh, we sell to venues um, now across Europe. I think next time I'm going to do a venture like this, I'm going to go global much faster because starting a tech company in Norway is, is hard because it's a, such a small market. I think a good thing is that it's small, it's easy to get an overview of, but once you have product fit, you should really try and go out immediately. I think we waited too long. And if we had gone out earlier, we would have been much bigger today. What's your, what's been your funding strategy? Have you raised money for TicketCo? Do you have yeah. investors? Yeah, we, we raised uh, around uh, 11 million. And uh, we have been growing with friends and family first. Uh, friends of mine who took their savings into my company because they thought I had a good idea and they believed in me. Then we, we got some professional investors uh, and also a couple of funds and a strategic investors co uh, investor coming in. So we've been investing in the company all the way uh, and we're going to continue to do so as well. How have you, you know, this year has been challenging for a lot of folks and, you know, we were last year was amazing and then this year has been more difficult. How are you thinking about planning for 2023 in the wake of all of the volatility and economic uncertainty? Is it, are you still focused on growth? Are you focused more on profitability? How are you thinking about it? Um, for, first, I think that the, the challenges we will meet now is nothing compared to what we went through through COVID. 
because then we uh, that was a complete disaster and i was uh, working 24 7 almost trying to save the company for yeah one and a half year uh, so in terms of the economic downturn i think that people will still buy what we have to offer so i think we'll sell equally much people will will uh, uh, save more in terms of the, the big spending, traveling, and maybe a new car. That can wait. But I think people want to follow their football uh, club, and they want to go to a festival. Uh, and they might prioritize that instead. For the company uh, point of view, uh, uh, we turn it around. We've been losing money every year because we've been investing in growth. But we turn it around. So March this year, we were cash positive uh, and we spent, I don't know, about six months to turn it around. First, we have positive EBITDA and then we have, we're cash positive. So next year, we're going to make a little money, but we're still going to focus on growth. Well, making a little money, but focusing on growth sounds like a great formula. I think so. At least next year. Uh, because we have some product development that we need to do as well. And then we're going to see a, a much stronger growth and sustainable growth in 2024. So 2023 is the road towards that. That's the plan. That's a good plan. One of the things you've talked about in the past is your strong belief in remote work. Walk, walk, tell us why you think remote work is so powerful. Because when we went in, in and we, I moved to London in 2017 uh, to set up the company in London. Um, and I mean, that was a great experience. And I think, you, I, I think every founder that wants to, to go into another country needs to move and they need to learn the culture, meet the customers and feedback the product and make sure that you have product fit in that market. However, and we also opened up in Poland, we opened up in Sweden. So what I did, I traveled, I had like three days in each of those offices, following up sales, looking at pipelines, looking at product and everything that we did. And what I saw was that it was impossible to like lead uh, and scale the company in a good way uh, why, by traveling and meeting people in person. What I do now, we hire the best people we can find regardless of who they are. So if they sit uh, here in Bergen, West Island, Norway, or if they sit in Stockholm or in London, doesn't really matter as long as they're the best person for the role. It also means that you are much less disconnected than you were before because before I was having to travel to those employees and meet them in person and then I, I, I was disconnected for like two weeks or, or, or maybe three weeks depending on how many markets we were in. Now I'm remote, everyone is remote and everyone is still very close and that has brought the company together in, in, in a completely new way. So I think talent, culture... And also a huge money saver uh, makes me believe in remote working. Do you feel like there's sometimes something lost when people aren't, you know, there's been some articles that have come out recently talking about overall declines in productivity due to remote work. Do you feel like sometimes you might, you might miss something if you're not in the office, some of that, uh, you know, they might call it osmosis or serendipity where you, you catch information that isn't in a meeting, isn't in a document, but it's over her, but it helps people grow faster or learn more quickly. Yeah, I think so. I think, I think it can be, a, if you're a, let's say you're a, you have a headquarter in, uh, in, in one city and you have a lot of people working remote in other cities or in other countries, 
what will happen then is that they will miss out on their physical presence at the office and it will become a disconnect between HQ and all those people. If you implement a full remote policy with an, a volunteer office solution, let's say a hot desk, etc., all of a sudden everyone is, is, is remote and you don't get that disconnect. So what I've done, I've done exactly that. And I've also, instead of spending um, money on offices uh, all around, I've scaled down the offices and I've focused on quarterly get-togethers with the whole company where we fly everyone to Norway, we do a great event, we have a speaker on, and we, we do something together every quarter. And that has also brought the company much stronger together. I love that. One of the... One of the things that you credit to your success and something you've talked about that you believe in very strongly is just, it sounds almost hokey, but the power of love. Walk, walk through, you know, how you think about mindset, how you think about optimism and love and the impact that it has on your business and your success. Yeah, I think I've grown into that actually, uh, because uh, when I was, when I was running all the restaurants and, uh, and, um, and bars and everything. It was very money focused. I wanted to make as much money as possible. And that's what basically what was getting me up in the morning was out hustling and bustling and getting uh, people in. I actually ended up buying a couple of the nightclubs and some bars. So I was a bar owner for a couple of years. I'm never going to do that again. I'll tell you that. It's much better in tech. <laughs> but, but after when you're building something for 10 years, which we have, where you have to go through all the ups and downs, you go through COVID, you have to really think about, okay, why am I doing this? And if you don't love your customers and what they do and what they are able to be pull or what they're able to pull off by throwing on amazing festivals and experiences, I think you're never going to make it in. You'll last a couple of years, but you're never going to make it in the end. And I think you have to bring that love down to all the employees uh, because then all the customers will understand that you're there for a purpose as well. So that's why I'm a strong believer in that. What do you say to people that say maybe they don't love their customer? Maybe they just want to make money. What's your response to those people? I think they won't last in the long run um, because it's not, it, it'll get you up out of bed uh, a couple of days uh, or a couple of months or maybe a couple of years. But it won't get you up at 5 a.m. in the morning to, to do a workout. So you're super fresh when you come to the office to deliver. So I think that's, uh, that, that's key for me. So I, I know how it is because I've had that thinking myself as well. But made, made some money, lost some money. I mean, by the end of the day, you need a purpose. Uh, you need to love what you're doing. I love that. You, uh, does your purpose, what is it that helps you, you know, you're, you, you get up early, you have, walk us through your daily routine. I just think that's really interesting. And you're, you're up early. Tell us how you, how do you approach every day? And I guess the related question is if you're getting up at five every morning, what time do you go to bed? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, there's no, there's no more batteries. 10, 10, 30, there's no more batteries left. It's, it's, uh, it's, I'm not, I'm not wasting uh, an hour watching Netflix in the evening. And then, then I go to bed because then I rest for the next day. But, but the, the, in the morning, 5 a.m., then I get up. I go uh, to the gym every day. 
I need to do that. It keeps my head uh, in a good way and, and uh, my health in a good way. I believe in that. Then I wake up the kids. I have two daughters, seven and, and, and nine. And I carry them out of bed so and I get dressed, make breakfast for them. Uh, and we have a conversation around the table. I always love that. This is what I do every morning. And then I take, uh, I walk them a little bit halfway to school because they have like 30 minutes and I walk with them 15 minutes with the dog. And then I go back and then I start my, my day of working. So that's like every day I start like that. And then I sometimes go into the office in Bergen. I work from home. I basically try and get out because I can't sit still all day. Uh, come back and then, you know, dinner and kids, activities, skiing, football. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, uh, you're an active person. You like to be outside. Does it impact you, the, the, um, the daylight, you know, just being in Norway where at this point in the year it starts getting dark super early and there's not that much sunlight or are you just used to it having grown up there? Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think we're used to it. I think if you go north in Norway, you won't see uh, sun at all, or you won't see daylight at all. But here, I think uh, it gets dark now at five at five p.m. It, it gets dark, and we'll soon have snow. Then everything gets much lighter. What I do now is I just put on a headlight uh, around my head, and I go for a run. And it doesn't matter if it's dark or uh, light. It, it's uh, that's so awesome. Mm. I want to go for a run with you sometime. I want to visit you in Bergen. <laughs> yeah, you should come. I definitely. It's uh, you should not come to Bergen without knowing someone here. And I think I've been running around in Bergen uh, restaurants, and I think I know everyone in this city. So if you ever come, <laughs> know. we'll take care of you. Are Norwegians nice people? Yeah, they are open-minded, especially on the west side, here where we live. I hate uh, the east siders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> you can't even speak English. So, I mean, so it's... Uh, <laughs> and I don't speak Norwegian. No, you don't. No, you don't. So I'm teaching you <laughs> phrases. But really, yeah, you should come over. We have fjords, fresh, the freshest fish in the world, skiing, running. Yeah, everything you need. I love it. One, uh, one last question for you, Carl, before, before we go. You know, we like to pay it forward a little bit and... Um, and reference or, or just understand who are the people that have had the biggest impact on you. When you think about, it could be founders, it could be VPs of sales, it could be investors. It doesn't have to be people you know. It could be somebody famous. When you think about people that have had the biggest impact on your life, who do you and you and these are people that you think we should know about? Who comes to mind? I think uh, when it, when it comes to me or in, what I can do in general, right? I had a I had a dad who was a was a crazy entrepreneur, like a proper crazy entrepreneur, the ones you read about, right? The the crazy ones who find out all sorts of stuff. And he was so optimistic and so creative that it was just unbelievable. He never made it. It just came. He never got product fit on what he did, but he invented a lot of different stuff from from seaweed creams and to sausages made of salmon. We had a pool where we had uh, salmon swimming around in the pool. <laughs> That's amazing. It's crazy. So I experienced so much. And he taught me one thing, that you can do whatever you want to do and you will make it anyway, even though he never made it. That's what he told me uh, always. Uh, he's passed now, but he definitely made a huge impact on me because of the way he handled uh, all the downturns he had. He was always positive, always supportive, and I think, think that's a superpower. 
So he had a huge impact uh, on me. And I've also had a couple of mentors on the way, which have helped me a lot. I think it's that super important. I have to say, in terms of what you need to know about, obviously, after I joined Pavilion, that has made me a so much better CEO. Really? Yeah. I have to say, I, have to say, I really thank you for that idea and for turning that idea into what it has become. It's really, really fantastic. Oh, well, that makes me feel good. I was, I'm always worried, you know, because you're in Norway and a lot of the people in the CEO group are in other cities, not Nor- <laughs> not Birkin. Yeah, so yeah. I worried, but you, you're, you're very active and involved, which I love to see. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm here in Norway, right? And I'm sitting there with a, a lot of great CEOs in the US, one of the most competitive markets in the world. And I'm able to get insights directly from them. And they're so open-minded, so engaged. So, I mean, it's just super inspiring. Uh, and I think that has definitely made, it has helped me turn around my company from being uh, uh, basically a growth company who lost a lot of money to becoming a, a revenue generating uh, uh, company. I love that. Well, and for those that for those out there that that don't know, Carl is he's as active as he says, and sometimes we have calls, and he's in his boat, <laughs> he's in the middle of a big lake somewhere in Norway, but dialing into a CEO call, which is just awesome. Yeah, it's fantastic. You need to. That's the beauty of remote working, I guess, in Norway. Extreme, <laughs> extreme remote working in Norway. You are, yeah, you're you're you are the most extreme. Well, Carl, it's been awesome having you on the show. If folks want to reach out to you. Uh, and maybe purchase purchase some of the event uh, software that you've built for TicketCo. What's the best way to reach you? Yeah, yeah you can reach out on LinkedIn. Uh, easy, to, pretty easy to find on LinkedIn. Uh, or you can just drop me a message in Slack in, through Pavilion, or or you can uh, send me an email. Basically, fair enough, yeah. uh, Carl. It's been awesome having you on the show. Let's talk to you on Friday for what we call Kind Folks Finish Fridays. Great, thank you. Great to be here, Sam. Hey everybody, Sam's Corner, Sam Jacobs, host of the Sales Hacker Podcast, author of the new bestseller book, Kind Folks Finish First, nom- shortlisted for a Nobel Prize and an Oscar. Just kidding. Uh, and a MacArthur Genius Grant. Nope, not true either. Uh, I really love that conversation with Carl, and he's just a classic entrepreneur. He's somebody that understands it. And what is it that he understands? Well, he talked about how, you know, money, money working for money is not enough. It's not enough. It'll get you out of bed a couple days a week, but it becomes a grind and you have to find love. And it reminds me of this story, uh, this interview with, with Howard's between Howard Stern and Jerry Seinfeld. And Howard says to Jerry, you know, Jerry, I think, you know, I think your career and my career are really emblematic of the idea that, um, just hard work. Hard work pays off. You can just outwork. You can outwork the competition. You can outwork other people. And I was at the radio station till all hours of the night and I just kept working at it, working at it. And pretty soon I was, you know, Howard Stern and everybody knew me and, you know, Rich and all that other stuff. And, uh, and Jerry said, no, Howard, I love you. One of the things that's great about Jerry Seinfeld is he is not afraid to just directly contradict you. He is not, he's not really particularly interested in conversational harmony. He just, he's going to tell it like he, he sees it. So here, here's what he said. He said, no, Howard, yeah, hard work, discipline, consistency, creativity, those, that, those are the troops. Those are the troops in the army. The general of the army is love. 
The general of the army is love. Love is the thing that enables you to work hard. Love is the thing that enables you to show up every day at the gym, practicing in the weight room, writing if you're an author, writing if you're a comedian. Love is the thing. And he talked about that's that Michael Jordan loves basketball. He loves basketball. Kobe Bryant loved basketball. Jerry Seinfeld loves comedy. Howard Stern loves comedy, loves writing, loves radio. If you love, you have to find what you love. And if, and, and that is a, that's a long conversation, just so everybody understands. That's a long conversation because, because you're going to misdefine what you love. You're going to, you're going to not do it right because you, you can, it's going to be about like some, there's art and there's artistry and there's passion and there's creativity in everyday work. I promise you, you don't have to be Jerry Seinfeld. It doesn't have to be a world famous comic. I create things every day with my company. People all over the place create things and embrace things and engage in activities. Even as an employee working for somebody else as a salesperson, you can find love. So first, when I say you find what you love, I'm not saying quit your job to become a poet. That's not my point. But there is a point at which you need to uncover the raw atomic elements of the things that bring you energy, joy, and passion. And if you can find those things and attach purpose to them and attach meaning to them, then you can lead a fulfilling career. You can lead a good life and you are much more likely to actually get the things that you say you want anyway. You want to be on a yacht. You want millions and millions of dollars. You want the nice watch. You want to fly private or whatever it is that you want to do. The best path to that is to find things that you do that align with what gives you energy, joy, and passion. If you can connect those things to a growing market, you have a chance at all of the things that I mentioned. If all you do is from the outset say, I am working to get a, to be on a yacht, you're not going to get there. It's not enough. You need to find what brings you joy and passion. You really do. This is covered in my book, Kind Folks Finish First. I'd like it if you bought 25 copies right now. Do it right now. No, I'm just kidding, but I'm just being a little silly. The real point is you got to focus on what brings you energy. And, and so if you're early in your career, the other thing that people misunderstand, I'm not telling you to quit your job when you're 28 years old. I'll do, I'll do respect. Do you really know what the fuck you're talking about when you're 28? The answer, I'm here to tell you the answer. The answer is no, you don't. You don't. 28 is actually a very dangerous age because it's just the age when you think you know what you're talking about, but really it's the age when you're most likely to be an asshole. Uh, what I would tell you to do is get wisdom and experience and figure out in those early years of your career what it will take, what, what does bring you joy, passion, creativity, purpose, and then leverage those things as you have experience later on in your life. So I've mixed a bunch of messages there. Be smirching 28-year-olds telling you about what it takes to find, to build wisdom experience. But the main thing is use the early part of your career to figure out what gives you joy and energy and then leverage that to do those things in the later part of your career. And if you're 28, just word to the wise, you are from 28 to 33, the odds that you are completely and utterly full of shit are at their highest. So check yourself. You're probably an asshole. Have a great week, everybody.